Hello, everyone. Welcome to What is Covenant? Specialized Pastoral Care Services, Christian Counseling Ministry with Dave Clay. So wherever there's numbers, there's going to be transactions. (laughs) And we can see that probably in more current context, contemporary context, as when you talk about numbers and transactions, you're talking about money. Uh, It is mammon. (laughs) God warns us, the Bible warns us, not to serve mammon, (laughs) but to serve God. And with that, then, this is the reason why. Because as much as wherever there's numbers, there's going to be transactions, I'm not sure always who gets the best deal. Uh, I don't like to buy cars. I don't like to buy houses. Or if I buy cars or buy houses, and those aren't the only two, those the first two examples came to mind, two instances or two circumstances or situations where this general rule of mine applies that I'm about to tell you about, I'm about to share with you. I don't like to buy houses and cars. Why? Because there's no way you can win, especially if they're used cars. And who gets to buy a new house? And even if you buy a house that no one has ever lived in, you still don't know much about how it was built. You could kind of have some confidence. That's where you hire somebody to do an inspection, home inspection with houses. And I suppose you could do the same thing, take it to your local mechanic with your car. But still, you just really don't know until you get it. And then there's this thing called lemons when it comes to cars. My point being that in a material regard, you can try to make it even. In a material regard, you can try to even sort of get the best deal. I don't even like that, and that takes me back to my general rule. If somebody says it's worth this, and that's what they value it to be, and I look at it and say, I think it's worth it, or if I don't think it's worth what they think it's worth, I'll just tell them, no, I'm not gonna pay you that, I'm going to pay you this, as with the transaction, or I'm going to do it for this amount, or you could do it for me for this amount. But when that happens, or when we say that, or we get to that point, or when I get to that point, I'm done. (laughs) I'm not going to keep bargaining, because there's no win in that. And in some ways, too, you'll never win in a material way, because it always ends up in loss. (laughs) That's a truth. That's a truism. You can try to bargain your way through life and always, you'll never always win. And even should you win more than you lose or should you get the better deal or you should get the deal on somebody else. In the end, you leave with what you came with. And so it's not really, I should correct myself, it's not really a losing proposition, but it's certainly not a gain proposition. So why would we go through all of that? Well, it's for the experience, the moment that we're in. Why not live here when you can live here? Or why not drive this when you can drive that? And maybe even then I can kind of see where there may be some benefit or value, but even so, the unequal distribution, even as luck would have it, some people are seemingly so more fortuitous, more lucky than others. I do believe to some extent then I think in this notion of equity. 
equity. <laughs> and yet at the same time, I also believe that you should do everything you can not only to keep yourself a little bit better than just the average, or should you even have a run of bad luck or bad circumstances, you could certainly correct. But if you get too far away from that general principle of the Lord giveth and the Lord, good Lord, taketh away, you're going to be in trouble because your intentions would be how much winning? (laughs) How much quail (laughs) in the wilderness? Uh, Is it going to come out your nostrils? Uh, Can you ever get sick and tired of quail? Well, the Israelites found out that they could after they got sick and tired of the manna. But that's really, you you can only serve one God. And that is the manna. But it's God's distribution, and you only get to keep it for a day, except on this holy day of the weekend. And then you can keep it for two days. But after that, it's going to go bad. I think we'd all be much better if we lived by some semblance of that notion. 2 Samuel, looking at verse, actually chapter first, 24, and then verse 10. And David's heart smote him after he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. And now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now, even David realized that numbering the people, and when did he do this thing? He did this thing (laughs) following all of the storied, I guess, conflicts, not only personal for David with others, other peoples, but even his own people. And even should it be then not just David personally, it was Israel in general. And with that, the divide, the division. And so much so that it all began, I suppose, with Bathsheba. And with that, the consequences of David's indiscretion there to take another man's wife, and even more so, the way that he was able to secure it, procure Bathsheba, as if she was, she were to have been, was just an object to him. Uh, I know that's not true. We know that's not true. David loved Bathsheba. I probably would say that David loved all of his wives, and maybe even so his concubines, As much as he may have had some semblance of that, Solomon is usually the one renowned King Solomon, David's son, the heir to the throne, is the one most notably so (laughs) prone to concubines or was prone to concubines and multiple wives. I don't think David had that sort of thinking. But David certainly knew enough about conflict. And what's conflict generally over? Transactions. And you could say it's about money. Going back to the beginning of the podcast, I don't know that it is. It's just about who's in charge and why they're in charge and how rightly we are charged to dispense with this notion of who's up and who's down, who's winning, who's losing. And also, finally, for me, this idea of equity. If that's what the value is, then I'm going to pay it. That's the way it should be. If I don't, then... 
why do I enter into the agreement? And certainly, why should I think that it should cost me any less than what it may cost someone else for the sake of equity? If I really am my brother's keeper, I might even be inclined to think, what can I do more for them rather than what can I get more from them or of them? And would want to then even exalt them, not myself, in this sort of material way of serving mammon. So when we read from 2 Samuel 24, and particularly again verse 10, that's what it had come to. And David was numbering the people because there was a legitimate threat. The kingdom had been divided, certainly uh, when it came to Absalom. But it started its division when it came to Saul, and with that then David. And from the very beginning of David's rise to the position of king, he was always at odds. And certainly even as much with the house of Saul as it would then turn out to be Israel following Solomon, the divide had begun. And to some extent, I'm sure Bathsheba, as God and Nathan pointed out, that was going to be the consequence. But it wasn't so much, I'm not sure, it was so much that it was specific even to that indiscretion of David. But David was already starting to think in these terms. David was a man after God's own heart. David certainly extended grace and mercy, and David did that in as, I guess, beneficial as with benefactor as in with the most gracious and graceful and merciful of ways but David also knew righteousness and in that he killed a lot of people it all started with at least the, his renown started with Goliath and is that bad No, we dispense with that notion. Maybe it was last podcast, a couple podcasts ago. This is Old Testament. This is all transactional. But there is a glimpse, particularly in this passage, of how God has chosen to put the transactional, as in the numbering of things, as in the service of mammon, as in this material sort of dimension, as this, in this, we could take it to win, lose, Survive or be killed, survival of the fittest, even sort of mentality. So with all that in mind, I'm going to go to verse 1. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he incited David against them to say, God did this. It was all part of his plan. Was it his original plan? I don't. I don't know. Only God knows what it would have taken to get us to Jesus and what it's going to take us from Jesus to get to to Jesus coming a second time so that the kingdom can be established in the right sort of way, not out of numbers, not out of transactions, not with any semblance of Old Testament righteousness even, but in the true righteousness that his word turned living word in Jesus Christ, full of grace and mercy and forgiveness, but not without judgment for those who have otherwise chosen mammon, they have no place with God, and the natural consequence of such is death, not only once, in material regard, but eternally in hell, damnation with the devil. But at this point, Jesus had not yet come, and it was all still unfolding, so to speak. 
But God had incited David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. Because David was a little afraid that somebody was going to come and try to take his kingdom again. For the king said to Joab, the captain of the host who was with him, Go now through all the tribes of Israel from Dan even to Beersheba, and number ye the people, that I may know the number of the people. And even Joab, which is not necessarily of highest caliber or order in terms of transactions and grace and mercy and forgiveness, Old and New Testament sort of dimensions. And Joab said unto the king, Now the Lord thy God add unto the people as many as they are and hundredfold and that thy eyes and my Lord the king may see it. But why doth my Lord the king delight in this thing? So he acknowledged that was the order as if incredulously to say, What? You want me to number the people? But the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the host. And Joab and the captains of the host went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. And they passed over the Jordan and encamped in Arior on the right side of the city that lieth in the middle of the valley toward Gad and toward Jazir. Then they came to Gilead into the land Atatim Hashai, and they came to Danjan and about to Sidon, and came to the stronghold of Tyre, and to all the cities of the Hivites, and the Canaanites, and of the Canaanites, and they went out to the south of Judah, even to Beersheba. So Joab followed the order, although he did not necessarily understand the order, was taken aback a bit by the order. At this particular point, David had just regained the throne from Absalom, and everything was in amends at that point. And whatever the division was between initially Saul and David, and now between David and David, his own house, had been mended, and all those that had taken sides, those that had sided with David, those that had sided with his adversaries, and remember too, (laughs) that even so, David had chosen other peoples to side with, and with that, even against Israel, as with uh, the Philistines, the Philistines. And David knew. <laughs> and at some level inside of himself, this thing was probably going to continue. And maybe he was a bit hypervigilant. Maybe you could call it even a bit paranoid. But though he was graceful or gracious, that's what I should say, and merciful, the right way to say it, uh, he was still suspicious. And he was numbering the people. And again, God took advantage of that to the end of what God wanted to have happen. And with that, they'd gone throughout the entirety of the land. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. And Joab gave the sum of the number of the people under the king And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. Now again, numbers, transactions, that's probably on paper 
that looks like there's some advantage, maybe even close to double (laughs) the advantage to Israel. And that was where the division was, Israel and Judah. And it would eventually result in a divided Israel and two countries under two kings uh, post this particular moment in history and the reference that we're at right now in this time with David as he was numbering the people. But that had yet to fully manifest itself, but it was already coming and David could see it. There was this great schism or great divide. And with that, Israel had the advantage. And with that, though certainly it would not take thousands to necessarily win the battle, it would take even so two in the Lord. But the idea, at least I would think, Samson did it single-handedly. It's possible, but David wasn't of that mindset. David was thinking, again, very transactionally, and he numbered the people. And then we get to verse 10 I read earlier. And David's heart smote him after he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, he realized, I've sinned greatly in what I have done. Because he was already thinking division rather than reconciliation, rather than making amends, rather than saving the lost, rather than helping those who were less fortunate, rather than trying to determine the best way to preserve the kingdom. He had already thought about the division and with that preparing, I believe, himself for battle. And once again, with good reason. Based on all of those things I mentioned a moment ago historically that had happened to him and his kingdom. And those that had come against him and tried to take his kingdom. O Lord, and now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant. Which just means he was being tempted. Was he tempted of the devil? No. Was he tempted of God even? No. But he was tempted of his humanity. And in his humanity, the devil finds plenty, his, mine, ours, finds plenty of opportunities to tempt us. And then, and when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and told him, and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine come unto thee in thy land? Or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies? Which David knew that very well. While they pursue thee. Or wilt thou that there be three days of pestilence in the land? Now consider and see what I, or see what answer I shall return to him who sent me. And then again, this is Gad talking to David on behalf of God. Because Gad was a seer. And David said unto God, unto Gad, I am in deep distress. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. And let me not fall in the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning even to the time appointed. And there died of the people, this is Israel now, from Dan even to Beersheba, 70,000 men. Now, that doesn't necessarily make it equity, so to speak, between Israel and Judah or this divide within Israel of the people that prompted 
as with historically and now current present David to take this action. A number of the people which David realized was an error. It wasn't about reconciliation. He was preparing for battle. And with that he repented and decided not to try to get the better of Israel. If you were buying a car or a house, he'd settled on a value. And with that, then, he was willing to lay down his own great desires for self-preservation and preservation of his kingdom. And as much God had promised it to him, should not forget that, David was quite possibly acknowledging. God said it was going to be mine. I don't need to lift up arms against a perceived threat. I do not need to manipulate a situation or circumstance to get the great advantage. I just need to allow God to determine what the cost is going to be, and I need to pay it. God is much better at equity than we are. God is much better at distributing all that he has, an endless supply of resource, if we will allow him to. It is us who create surpluses and deficits and conflicts therein to try to equalize that. You cannot do that out of human intellect. Only God can do that. You cannot do that out of human dimension. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. You cannot do that even out of some sort of virtuous signaling of your great intentions. Because greed is greed. And though, again, serving mammon does not have to necessarily be about money. It's about power and dominion and control. Nonetheless, money is one of those ways of secondary reinforcers psychologically, we call it. But one of those ways of controlling things. If you have enough money, you can buy anybody. And they'll do anything. They'll sell their soul so quickly because money gets you all the things that in mammon terms you think you want. But in the end, you can't take it with you when you you go or when you leave. And when the angel stretched out his hand... Well, I'm going to read back up to 15. I think I maybe skipped 15. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning, even to the time appointed, and there died of the people. I did read that. From Dan, even to Beersheba, 70,000 men. And when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem, which would be Judah, and particularly David's house, out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented of the evil and said to the angel who destroyed the people, It is enough. Stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna, 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 and, uh, excuse me, Aruna, or Aruna, the Jebusite. And David spoke unto the Lord when he saw the angel who smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. So there's again an act of sacrifice. God had spared Jerusalem. And most of the casualty, as much as it is reported here in 2 Samuel, seemingly has been against the house of Israel, which seemingly then more reference future-oriented because we know the end too from the beginning because we've read the word and we know the history and what David was not able to see we already have record of but that's the division Israel and Judah that would eventually result but David was trying to make the correction to not see this transactionally 
And with that, even so, to put his house in personal sacrifice on the line. So that there might be then others spared, and particularly those that are innocent. The ones that had nothing to do with all of this wrangling for power and control. And Gad came that day to David and said unto him, Go up, rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Arunai, Aruna, the Jebusite. Pardon my really poor pronunciation of that. And David, according to the saying of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. And Arunai, Aruna, looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. And Arunai, or Arunai, Aruna, went out and bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground. And Arunai said, Why is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be averted from the people. And Arunai, Aruna, said unto David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here are oxen for burnt sacrifice, and threshing instruments, and other instruments of the oxen for wood. All these things did Arunai or Uruna, like a king, give unto the king. And Aruna said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. And the king said unto Aruna, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was averted from Israel. Now there's so much that we could get into in this passage. Possibly the next podcast we will. But for the sake of the moment that we're in on this podcast, suffice it to say, I don't know that Aruna, Arunai, was necessarily a high priest, although he was like a king. And with that, not only king in mammon sort of terms, transactionally, materialistically, uh, in terms of power, control, dominion, over people, lording over people, as with even Old Testament hierarchy, as the king, as the high priest. But he certainly was inclined to offer good advice, as maybe would have been a high priest. And though David was the king, David was kind of in this moment being elevated to even a higher status than what he had known. And David, again, was a man after God's own heart and probably most often than not had God's heart and with that the anointing. But he still committed a lot of errors that suggested he led from Old Testament reference of mammon and with that had to follow, abide by the rules which he struggled with and with that needed to do sacrifices and offerings in material transactional sort of terms to make those corrections because he had yet to see the full glory of the Lord manifest in Jesus Christ. 
whom is both thy priest and king. And we're seeing that in some prefigurement terms coming together in this passage in these two that were probably not of any sort of order to rightly do that except the order of God and God needed them at the moment such as it were to stay off not only these three, the pestilence particularly that the Lord had chosen to enact as a result against Israel, as a result of again that their iniquity a priority to anything that I've read in the podcast out of the Bible in the word in the podcast today But nonetheless, even for David, and though this was really not a test of David, everything's a test when it comes to the devil because though we don't specifically have reference of the devil tempting David, I'm sure that's exactly where the temptation was coming from. The devil was just not as recognizably so there as he would be a little later on as with Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Which is for the next podcast. You could say it's kind of a part two. This may be a bit of a segue, but I don't know that I want to necessarily set it up that way. But if you come back for the next podcast, that's where I'm going to go. But at this moment, we're seeing the Christ and we're seeing what Jesus did experience in the wilderness as with the temptation of the devil in such direct terms. And I think the parallels are pretty, again, very direct, pretty direct. What David was tempted with, what Gad had told David would be his options, was very much what the devil offered Jesus. The difference being that Jesus, as we would know him to be now, after the fact, David did not know then, though had inclination of the Christ to come awareness at some spiritual level not fully understood or comprehended in material terms David was already getting the message it's about grace and mercy it's about forgiveness it's not about raising up arms it's not about getting the better deal it's about giving your life to God so that he can enact a better deal not for one not for any particular people but for all of us That was the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't lie, cheat, steal in mammon terms. Rightly inherit the kingdom of God, which is already promised unto you, even as it was to David, now through Jesus, so that we don't have to get caught up in this, so that we do not have to have thoughts such as this, so we do not have to number the people, even so... I'm not going to say David was going to go on the offensive, but we don't have to get anywhere close to preemptive strikes in order to defend ourselves. We don't even have to get into defending ourselves if we truly trust the Lord. His righteousness is best. He is equity. He is equitable. But it's not the way even we would conceive, nor the path that we would choose in our humanity to take to accomplish that end, because it's about laying down your life for another. No greater love. And Jesus would demonstrate that. So what did David do? He did the best he could. He paid for it. 
<laughs> with that, what did he do? He showed his greatest of intentions. And what did God do? God did not require it of him. But God got the message across, all this transactional stuff, it's not going to solve anything. All this mammon stuff, all this way that seems right unto man, but only leads unto death, you can't understand enough. You don't live in heavenly dimensions except that you would accept A-C-C-E-P-T Jesus Christ and then have the full assistance of the Holy Spirit to begin to fully understand not only the mind of God, the mind of Christ but be able to operate in the power and the authority that the mind of God, mind of Christ affords us by laying down the selfish motives So when you buy a house, you buy a car. When you have these sort of dealings with others, lead with grace and mercy. If you've been blessed, don't give more than is required. And you can't certainly give in the same measure Jesus did without Jesus, without the assurance, the promises of God actualized once more word to living word translation transfiguration but if you've got Jesus and the Holy Spirit moves upon you be gracious be merciful and then be graceful in that and don't get caught up in these squabbles if he asks for your coat or your shirt give him your coat as well If he asks for something to eat, give him something to drink. Give him the additional, her, them. Be gracious. Be merciful. Lest you fall into the temptation of poverty. Of thinking in terms of loss and deficit. At the very least, you're going to exit with what you had. And at the very most, nobody leaves with anything more than what they were given or they brought into the world. There was much given once they entered into this world. Some greater, some lesser. All of that lack of equality or inequity is on us. It's not on God. But you don't need to be counting the cost in that way. And should you, then do what David did. Lay it down. So many of the family conflicts, so many of the individual, so much of the reason people seek pastoral care, specialized pastoral care, Christian counseling, is they're trying to win. They're trying to preserve. They're trying to win in ego terms. They're trying to win in selfish terms. They're trying to win based on their own best calculations. They're trying to win in Old Testament sort of dimension. You cannot win in Old Testament dimensions. That's why we have a New Testament and a new covenant in Jesus. We don't throw out the best intentions. We try to be gracious and merciful. If we have to, we default to the David. As with example in 2 Samuel 24. Repent. Understand, it's coming out of some evil motive. And if God should send you Gad, the seer, or Nathan, or now the Holy Spirit, or even so in the Holy Spirit, Jesus speaking to you, listen to him. So much of the conflicts that drive us all crazy and create so much conflict and division in this world come from that self-preservation. 
And it's in everybody to do that. It's survival. But it's not survival of the fittest in that way. It's survival of the fittest, the most adaptive, which is, again, to concede. In the end, everybody's going to win. It's going to be much more equitable if we all give rather than all take. It's, it's the same end in the sense that if you, at least in some sort of noble way, say that, well, you know, I need it. I need to take care of me, self-care. But if somebody else is willing to take care of you and you're willing to take care of them, you accomplish even that most noble of aspirations, but you do it the right way. You do it God's way. You do it the gospel of Jesus Christ way. And you do it the covenant specialized pastoral care services Christian counseling ministry way. Which is really what we're going to counsel. So, if you want to get a hold of us, 304-528-9220, covenantsonline.com, covenants.llc1 at yahoo.com, on Facebook and YouTube at Covenants. And you can always catch the next podcast where we're going to go to Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, kind of go back and collect the highlights, the consolidation of this podcast, and go a little further in that parallel. You'd want to come back for that, right? And should you not want to contact us directly, then this is our opportunity to have at least some conversation with you. In the meantime, I want to wish you the very best and that you are always blessed in the Lord and that sincerely I want to say thank you for joining us on What is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry with Dr. Michael David Clay. Until we get a chance to meet again, Thanks.